0: Kurt Anderson. Welcome back to Resilience in Action. Today, we are talking with Steve McGee, who has spent over 10 years as an SRE within Google, learning how to scale global systems across multiple product areas within Google. He's also managed multiple engineering teams around the world uh, in California, Japan, and the UK. And he currently works as a reliability advocate, helping teams to understand how to build and operate world-class reliable services. But Steve, you haven't always been at Google. And I think that our listeners might be interested in understanding how your experiences at a smaller company informs your perspective on
1: reliability. That's right. Um, thanks for having me, Kurt. I'm really happy to be here. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I tend to joke that I, I uh, was born at Google because I kind of went to Google right out of college. Um, and so like I was sort of born in space, like in this weird place that <laughs> is nothing like anything else. Um, and then at one point I left, you know, I was like, see you later. Uh, so I, m- I moved to, back to California and I joined uh, this smaller company. I wouldn't say it's like a small company, but it was uh, definitely smaller than Google at the time. Um, and uh, kind of did the whole modernize, like help move them onto the cloud from like, um, you know, on-prem data center uh, doing things the old fashioned way. And man, mm-hmm. I learned a lot um, just about like what the old fashioned way was. Like I ha- I honestly had no idea because I, w- I was born on the spaceship. Um, so um, coming back to, Uh, Kind of the way things were, were, were really done was, was, was a really good education for me. Um, And so I was able to then try to like translate how, you know, how Google did things and like how cloud works to, to this like uh, existing um, rightly complicated system and and figure out how to, how to make these two worlds uh, match up. It was, it was a challenge for sure.
0: So just for context, how can you give us an idea of how big the company was? Like how many engineers were with
1: the company when you joined for this uh, cloud transformation? Um, uh, Engineering, I think was around a hundred people. So not, not a tiny startup. In fact, it was the company's older than Google. funny, funny enough, um, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Started off writing, you know, software in a box, um, you know, on Uh a CD or maybe floppy. I don't know. I think a CD. Um, and then, uh, but, uh, yeah. So, so when I joined, it was, it was about a hundred people. It was a, a SaaS provider. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, it was very much in the, you know, ship it to the data center. And then, you know, there's the other data center where VR lives. And, and that was kind of it. Like okay. that was the distributed system. Um, so it was, mm-hmm. it wasn't exactly a monolith, but it was, you know, approximately a monolith. Um, okay. and, um, so, th- but they were, you know, very aware of, of, um, you know, new ways of doing things. And they're, you know, actively trying to transition uh, into, into this new model. Um, and so that's, that's where I kind of came in was I was sort of like, just sort of outside talent, if you were, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. you know, how would you, how would you go about this problem? Like, you know, I kind of had carte blanche to, to bring in new technologies and, and new ways of doing things, uh, but we still had to make it work with the existing system and, and processes that were, that were in place. And, and it turns out that was that was the tricky part. It wasn't really the technologies. It was it was the getting all the stuff to work that was already there, um, with with the new stuff as well. So that was so, um, pretty great, actually.
0: So functioning in a hybrid mode while you went through the transition is that sort
1: of where the yeah. challenge was. Yeah, exactly. So coming up with a migration plan or running multiple things in parallel. Um, there was a couple M and A, you know, team or companies that 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 we had acquired. Uh, they are at different levels of of maturity as well. so um, the you, you hear the joke a lot about you know multi-cloud, like why would you even multi-cloud? Right. And it turns out like lots of times you don't choose to. <laughs> like it just gets <laughs> it gets hoisted on <laughs> you because like you acquired a company who who did this other thing and like had a different uh, you know upbringing than you. And so now you've got these these two worlds you have to manage in, under under one you know corporate umbrella. Um, and in 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 our case, I think we had like seven. So it was, it was pretty gnarly. Wow. Like we had yeah. uh, four different cloud providers <laughs> at one point. Ooh, and that, that's pretty, wow. you know, yeah, it's pretty awesome. So yeah, that, that was a big I'm challenge.
0: A lot, of, a lot of fun there, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the reliability practices at the time? Because with that many cloud providers scattered around doing bits and pieces, how are the teams
1: keeping it reliable? Yeah. Um, so it was um, very much like a, an ITIL, ITSM shop there. So um, IT service management is this whole thing. There's a little yellow book you can buy that explains it all to you. Um, ITIL is on version four, I think, or something like that, 4.1, who knows? Um, I don't really keep track. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> there was, you know, like a... There was the corporate side. So there's like service desk. And then there was like mm-hmm. the, the production side, which was the knock. And so like having or a, or a sock, I think they call it sometimes systems operation center. Um, okay. And being able to kind of feed all of the, the signals into one room that had a bunch of screens on the wall. And then um, having people who are in that room have, you know, the ability to to run certain commands basically like you know when this okay. light turns on push this other button over here um right it was obviously more more complicated than that but um it was that was the the generic model was uh, route everything through this one uh room that has locked doors so that was okay that was kind of it yeah
0: and so what what interest what what brought them to the point of bringing you in i mean what how did they decide they needed to make the transition to a more modern approach? Cause it sounds like they had bits and pieces scattered around already.
1: Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So the, the other part of that is, yeah, there, there, there's these acquisition companies um, and some of them were kind of pulled into this um, traditional model and some weren't. So like, mm-hmm. um, as you I'm sure are aware, like lots of acquired companies get sort of left alone. Like they continue to operate as they were operating before, but like, you know, they just sort mm-hmm. of share the revenue or whatever, uh, but yeah. like they, they kind of do their own thing. So there' are some companies or some, some of the sort of sub companies were doing that. Um, and some of them were kind of doing the opposite where they were, they were clearly like operating at a better level than the parent company. And so it was sort of like, well, how do we take the best from each of these and incorporate them into one operational model? Um, and that I think was just kind of coincidental with when I started. Um, I don't think I was brought in to be a reliability czar in any way. Like it was very much like I came in as an infrastructure guy. Uh, because they wanted to like know how to do you know Kubernetes and packages and um, okay you know containers and stuff and then I was like by the way there's this SRE thing and they're like tell tell us more about that like what is that so um, th- this was a while ago this was you know kind of before SRE got really big it was like immediately post book you know if 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 that's okay. a good touch point so, okay
0: yeah so five years years ago then the yeah. book was out people mm-hmm. were reading it and starting to grok the idea or at least parts of the idea.
1: That's right. I think I remember, I think I bought six or seven copies and just brought the, brought the book in to and just handed them out to whoever would take one. And then I don't know if they got read, but you know, there was like, there was interest for sure. Like of this, this weird new thing. So, um, okay. Yeah. It was, it was a good place to start.
0: So, so speaking, Speaking of books or book-like things, Mm -hmm. uh, you are one of the co-authors of a new uh, O'Reilly publication called Building Reliable Services in the Cloud, and there will be a link in the show notes for people to uh, access that. Um, This is sort of like a mini-book, certainly compared Mm -hmm. to the SRE tomes uh, that have come out. Uh, But if you had to boil down your mini-book into just two or three key takeaway ideas
1: where would you start? Uh, yeah. So there, it apparently it's called a report. This is the, the, the term of art. Um, it's a, it's a small, it's, it's like, um, it's 50 ish pages. Actually, I don't know what it actually comes out to in like the, uh, you know, printed form. Uh, I guess, uh-huh. we'll, I guess we'll have to see. Um, and to be, to be clear, uh, Phil is the the main author. He, he wrote a huge amount of it. Um, I, I just, okay. um, you know, I, I sort of, he, I was able to bounce things off of me and I provided some, some kind of, other angles to, to think, think about things and some diagrams and stuff like that. But uh, we worked closely on it. Um, but like he was the he had the, the the structure in his mind the whole time, which is which is pretty awesome. Um, OK, But I, w- I would say like the, the the main to me, at least as like not the the primary author, but the sort of like the observer of what Phil was writing and like what I would get out of it if I were like, uh, you know, reading it for the first time. Uh, I, I hope that what people would get out of it is that Um, S3 or sorry, not S3, but uh, reliability sort of more generic than S3 Mm -hmm. um, is not a thing that you can really just bolt on to an existing system. And it's really more about like how the system is designed and understanding a lot of these kind of weird details that you would hope you wouldn't have to care about, but in fact, they're really important. Um, So like if you just build a system in a vacuum and you're like, now let's make it reliable, like you're, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. So the whole point of this report is to show you like how to design a reliable system, which implies that you're designing something that doesn't exist uh, to begin with. So, so a lot of these learnings we can, we can, we can, we can apply to existing systems, uh, but you can't just ignore the stuff under a certain, you know, level. Like you you do have to go in and and change some things that you were hoping to ignore, but realize we we actually can't.
0: Okay. So somewhat of the problem of leaky abstractions
1: then. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, it, it turns out like most abstractions are leaky and, and, and even when they're, they're really clean um, they, they leak out in ways that you, you don't even notice, right? They, they leak out on the bad days instead of, you know uh, the, the, the normal days. Um, and th- this is, is like uh it's not a new concept. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually, this is kind of a, a side uh, sort of a tangent, but like I was, I was looking at an old video internally the other day um, and it was from a Google thing from, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh-huh. Um, and during that time, someone from the audience is like, hey, uh, what's the deal with you know reliability? Like how come our data centers are only 99% available? Like we want our services to be more available than that. And then the the sort of the heads of state that are sitting up at the front are like, yeah, that's right. Like we need to, you need to use more than one data center. Like it's like uh, (laughs) those data centers aren't going to get more reliable. Like you need to be okay with that, and you need to find ways to work around that. Um, And I think that that's a message that I've been trying to help lots of companies with right now, which is like, please don't ask for a more reliable data center because it won't happen. Like what you need to instead is accept that you know, there is no spoon, right? Like, except mm-hmm. that a single data center, whether it's a zone or a region or like a physical, you know, building that you own yourself isn't going to get more reliable. And you probably shouldn't try to invest in making it itself more reliable. And instead you should use many of them, right? And, and make the system as itself, you know, the, the, the greater system uh, account for the, the inherent unreliability in a, in a single data center. Um, and, and that was a like that's a, that's a, a message I try to get across a lot right now. And it was just kind of fun to see this in a video from inside Google from 15 years ago, where they were, you know, the person asking the question was asking the exact same question from today. Right. But just, right. you know, in this internal system. So, right. And,
0: and do you feel like that message is getting across? I mean, do you still see people asking that question inside of Google or has uh, they pretty much assimilated that? So understanding.
1: Yeah. I mean, not really. Um, not at that, level of detail not at the, sorry not at that at that layer of abstraction if you will like um, no one talks about single data centers inside of Google like they're they're abstracted away enough where okay you really just kind of choose what level of availability you need or expect and the system will kind of give it to you um, nice. so if you're if you if you don't care how reliable it is like yeah maybe it will put it in one data center for you and like but you don't really, talk about the geography of it you really talk about the attributes that the attributes that you want out of the service and 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 the system will kind of like do it for. You. And when I say the system it's like a socio technical system. So it's like there's there's some people involved as well too, but I just mean like the the hand wavy system. Okay. Okay.
0: Good to know that it's there are still some people involved that it is socio technical and it's not just a dab yeah. Uh, yeah. No, they, the AI is not involved.
1: it's, it's not it's not a futuristic uh, space alien technology or anything like that. It's it's still it's still humans. There there are spreadsheets occasionally, things like that. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you you still have the uh the people in the tank from minority report underlying <laughs> the system, right?
1: <laughs> uh no comment on uh, the tank people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, uh, any other, what other point might you want to make from, from building oh, yeah.
1: reliable systems? system? Um, so the, yeah, the, the rest of the book or, or sorry, not the book, but the, the report, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. cause it's smaller, <laughs> uh, is that, uh, this reliability stuff, like you can't obviously bolt it on later, like, and you can't just, it's not, you know, pixie dust that you can just buy at the store. Um, but it is actually engineering. So, um the the way i think about it is like you you in order to, to like perform engineering you have to like kind of know what the problem is you have to kind of understand the state of play uh, you kind of have to know what you have available to you like what is what's in my machine shop you know what what tools mm-hmm. and, and parts do i have um, mm-hmm. and then what what trade offs am i going to make so uh, engineering at the end of the day is like applying you know science to problems and and making these trade offs uh, so a good example of this is like uh, can i have it be uh, more available or more or more correct but slightly mm-hmm. slower like, is that okay? Like, if okay. I can make this trade off, then like, sweet. Like, I now have like a, you know, uh, an ability that I didn't have before. Um, and so, this is like the, the simplest example here is retries. So, uh, if something breaks the first time, and I just silently retry it again, and then it works. Like, to the user, it was just a little bit slower, but it but it was good. You know. So, uh-huh. um, this is just a, a the most simple form of uh, reliability engineering. Um, and so the, the, the report has a bunch of this stuff in it, which is like, what are some of the things that you would actually do um, ahead of time? Like what would you design into the system in terms of like capabilities that would allow you to, to, to make these trade-offs over time. Um, sometimes it's complexity as well. Like you're just, you're just mm-hmm. making the system more complex in order to make it more available. And, and that in itself is, is also a cost,
0: of course. Okay. So one of the things that people struggle with on this trade-offs uh, spectrum is understanding um what's okay enough i'll say Mm -hmm. so to go back to your retry example uh it's going to be a little slower uh because it's done one or more retries but eventually it gets an answer for them um and part of the art of slo's talks about this trying to distinguish happy from unhappy Mm -hmm. customer experiences
1: Mm -hmm. um how do you figure that out science? <laughs> no, it's like, I mean, it kind of is like, I say that tongue in cheek, uh, but I'm kind of that serious. One. Okay. like, um, <laughs> like the, the, the best thing you can do is or the the first thing you can do is kind of your intuition, right? Like if this is something where people are waiting for the answer so that they can like do something in the real world, then like maybe Mm -hmm. latency is more important than something where, you know, you're just backfilling a cache for something to happen later. Like there's, there's, there's huge orders of magnitude between those things, like user waiting versus asynchronous, like that. Let's just separate Mm -hmm. those for for starters. When we get into like really closer and closer, like, um, you know, you have to kind of consider Is it eyeballs on the screen? And like, if so, you know, how fast is human perception, right? So, so at Mm -hmm. a certain point, like there's hugely diminishing returns. So like the difference between, you know, 300 milliseconds and 40 milliseconds is extremely difficult in, in terms of like the, the actual computer stuff and makes zero Mm -hmm. difference to the human. Like don't, don't do that one. You know, if, if it's a human waiting to like click a button and they can't perceive the difference in latency. Uh-huh. Just, just leave it out. Right. Uh, there might be other reasons for, because like it's part of a chain of events or something like that, but like if it's purely for a human to interact with, consider, you know, the, the distance from the eyeball to the brain is real. Like there's transmission uh-huh. speed there. So you're not going to control that latency. So like, think of the whole whole system. Um, and even tighter systems though, like when it's the input to another system, which is to another system, which another blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, you're getting down to, to really um, narrow, uh, kind of windows where, where, you know, happiness is is in in the in the short um, latency windows. Um, then, then when I'm talking about science, is what I mean is like uh, it, trying to introduce latency and having a, a proxy metric that allows you to determine like if it's too much is super important. So you can develop uh, like tranches of customers or internal customers. Like you can perform experiments essentially. So you can say like, you know, if we double the latency here do we get more support tickets or do we get people abandoning their carts or do we get, you know, some other okay. proxy metric that says like it is getting bad, you know, people are unhappy mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be across the entire board. It's just the people in that tranche, in that, in that, um, you know, experiment group. Okay. So, you know, is there, you know, payment throughput rate lower because mm-hmm. the, the site is harder to use Then in that case, like sounds like we, sounds like we found the number, like, let's not make it that slow. Let's, let's, you know, now bisect it, right? Like, let's go halfway right. between, you know, A and B and do it again. And mm-hmm. so you don't have to get the the number right the first day. That that's kind of the most important thing is that you can, you can work your way towards what you think is the right number. And then you, you have to remember that, like that number that you've decided is right is, is not going to be right tomorrow. Like it's, something's going to change in your products, you know, you know, who, who knows, like there's going to be some new type of customer that's out there, or you're going to be promoting mm-hmm. a new, you know, widget in your, in your, in your system or something like that. So like, it's always going to be changing. Um, so the important thing here is to have the ability to perform the science and to keep doing it. So making sure that you're not just kind of like falling back to old patterns because like, I don't know, it looks Pretty green on the dashboard, so it must be fine. But like, actually find um, reasons to 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 believe uh, that your customers are happy. Like, you know, constantly okay. prove it to yourself.
0: That that's an interesting perspective to undertake a, a constant revalidation of the things you're assuming to be
1: true, or. At least periodic. It doesn't have to be, you know, every minute of every day, right? Like if you, and you, as long as you put down a schedule, like, you know, every six months, we're going to revisit this or something like that, that, that works too. Yeah. But you don't want to just, you know, throw the dart once and be like, that's it for eternity. We're going with 400 milliseconds. Cause who knows?
0: Yeah. Maybe, maybe you had some skew that day. And so your number isn't even any, all that great yeah, from that, that one experiment too. Exactly. Yeah. So you talked about this, the principles in this report. As applying to the way you ought to build systems, um, but then you also made a, a really brief allusion to trying to retrofit and and kind of apply them to existing systems and and learn from where you're at. Um, how would you suggest people tackle that? Because that seems seems easier to do it coming out of the gate with a greenfield implementation. It
1: certainly is yeah, like it's definitely uh, easier easier said than done. Um, one example of this is um, that's kind of touched on a bit. And it's one of the the harder things um, to, to talk about in the book is um, dependency management. Um, and okay. so if you are, uh, yeah, sorry, report, I keep saying book, but it's actually a report. There's a difference. Fair, um, fair enough. Okay. The, uh, <laughs> the, the, the process of dependency management like seems academic and somewhat trivial and inconsequential at first. Um, if you're, if you're not down in the, you know, the depth of it, um, and then no, and then so by de- like
0: by dependency management. Can you expand on what that is for yeah, our listeners that might that not
1: be familiar with the term? Perfect example is the the log four j thing that's going on or has been going on the last couple of weeks. So this is a, a temporal thing. And podcasts are forever, I know, but like uh, if yeah. you if you depend on a, on a library uh, that is written by someone else and is managed by someone else, and it is the best, and you should definitely use it, and it'll save you a bunch of time. And then later someone's like oh by the way it's broken (laughs) or it can cause like this major problem like we either it's performance regression or in this case there was a security vulnerability like Mm -hmm. the the ability to be able to um know that you depend on that thing and be able to change your dependence on that thing or the ability to um know how that thing fails um, the, mm. in, the, in the case of the log4j thing, it wasn't a reliability problem, it was a security problem. But you mm-hmm. could imagine like instead of a security problem, let's say the log4j problem was that like, you know, one in a thousand requests that go through this code path would just, you know, corrupt the data or it would, mm-hmm. you know, just crash the server or something like that. Like that would mm-hmm. be a very similar problem in terms of like the response in terms of like, let's all upgrade everybody at the same time. But like the detection would be very different. And like its impact on your business is probably going to be a lot bif- lot different as well. Um, it's, okay. it's it's it would be a lot more kind of like clear potentially. So if you had the case where um, your particular architecture uh, hits one set of these you know bad servers somewhere, and every request goes through them, and one in a thousand gets dropped, then like all of a sudden you're you're you know potentially losing like an entire nine one day or something right. like that. That would right. that would be bad. Uh, but if on the mm-hmm. other hand, if you designed for um, something like this, like uh, by you know spreading out your load, and you and you have um, all of your requests go through like many different copies of these, or many versions of these, or or maybe they have what we call like a soft dependency on this type of thing. Then either you're going to have zero impact, or you're going to have a much more distributed impact of this type of failure. So um, the the key here is the concept of a soft dependency. So if you can uh, make it so the request coming in the front door, you know spins off sub requests to go to like databases and to other services. And they say like, Hey, give me this and give me that. And like, what color should I make this button? And so on and so forth. Um, A lot of these are kind of optional. Like they make the the experience more rich or easier on the user or something. But like, if you get no answer from that service, or you get Mm -hmm. an old answer from that service, it might still be okay. And in those cases, like being able to, what we call, you know, degrade, uh, uh-huh. Is really really important to the stability of the overall system, and so finding as many of these as possible as you can within your system is 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 highly encouraged. So, um, you know, the 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 analogy falls apart because Log4j is not something that you would actually like have yeah. a soft dependency on, but um, you you could imagine some, something like this. So so being able to to understand how dependencies work to begin with, and then be able being able to unravel them to the point where you can say like, well, this one we don't really need it. Like if we turn it off, it should be fine. Um, so an example of this inside of Google, um, was that, uh, if you, you know, Google search searches all of the whole internet. Um, so let's say for, you know, some period of time, like half of the internet or like some portion of the internet was just unavailable. Like the index was unavailable. Should we still return results? And the answer is like, yeah, probably like we can't return all the results. Like we might not, like the answer might be in this, like half of the internet that is like, you know, not available to, to the index at the time but like the other half is still is. So like, let's still mm-hmm. return some results. And maybe you even add a little indicator, like, you know, this is a partially degraded result. So like, it might not be perfect right now. And that's way okay. better than it just being like, oh, Google's down, sorry, <laughs> you know, like turn it right. off, right? So uh, right. the partial degradation is, is, a, is a important um, characteristic of, of, of a highly reliable system.
0: Okay, do you, out of curiosity, do you count those periods where it's partially degraded against uh, the reliability in some fashion? do you, do you charge
1: it 50%? I mean, Um, yeah, I mean, it depends on your objective, I guess. Right. Like you can, so the, um, the way that we suggest people think through this is like initially, yeah, sure. Like if you don't know how often you're degrading, then definitely count it. (laughs) You should be aware Uh of how often this is happening, but like count it in two different buckets. So be like, you know, how often are we returning results at all? Like, is that high nines? Are we doing great? Then how many times are Uh we returning degraded results? Is that also high nines? Are we doing it like, are we most of the time being degraded? Then maybe that's not uh-huh. good. Maybe, maybe it's okay. I don't know. But measure it first and being able to distinguish between degraded or not. And then when you get really clever, you can say like, how degraded are we? So like yeah. in the case of, of like a, a, an index for the web, like what what portion of the index uh, was able to return a response before we re- rendered a result to the customer, like 99%? Like. Did we actually hit all of the, you know, imagine the, the web indexes is, is across 100 MySQL databases, which it's not, yeah. but like, did you get a response from all 100 shards? Right. Then in that case, you, your, your ratio is, is good. It's 100%. Like did sure. one of the shards, was one of the shards rebooting? 99%? Still pretty good, right? But like record mm-hmm. that as a separate SLI. And that way you can know over time, our availability was good, but our quality dropped a little bit. And nice. is that okay? maybe depends on depends again on on kind of your business needs
0: good yeah no i think the visibility is the key there and and that seems to be an area where a lot of people don't have the visibility that they need in order to answer the questions well
1: yeah it's um uh, it's it's a really kind of a slippery slope when you first get into SLOs to try to sh- cram everything into like this one golden SLO right like this is this is the the indicator for customer happiness like it's fast it's correct it's available you know it's got a, a nice coat of paint on it like all of the things <laughs> in one number and like i mean that okay like you can you can track how many moments of perfection we have, but like when something becomes imperfect, like in which way is it imperfect? Like that's, that's actually important when it comes to comes down to like mitigations and preventions Mm -hmm. and things like that. So having more visibility uh, is, is is pretty important in in that respect.
0: Nice. So since uh, building reliable systems in the cloud or services in the cloud was, is a report and is short uh, or shorter than a full book, uh, what are some of the things that you would have liked to have included that, but didn't have space for
1: or time? Uh, yeah, this is a funny story is that this was uh, originally we, we were planning on writing like a full size, like kind of like another, like the SRE book or the SRE workbook, like a big book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so this was actually going to be one chapter in that whole thing oh. um, and, or maybe a couple or, or we were going to kind of figure out how to break it up. And so we had all these mm-hmm. other chapters we were planning as well. Um, and so the, the section that I was kind of in charge of was, we were calling it putting it all together. Um, and okay. this was one of the putting it all together. So this is sort of like the, the breadth first part of the book, uh-huh. um, and, uh, or the, you know, the, the potential book I should say. Um, and <laughs> so like other things that we were going to talk about was like, how does YouTube work? Just like, let's just, let's just talk about it. Like end to end, like, you know, how do uploads work and processing. And then like, we can talk about SDNs and we can talk about like cash filling and we can talk about like uh-huh. transcoding and there's all this stuff, you know? Um, And it's like, it's actually a really good example of like a, a modern, you know, warehouse scale, you know, consumer internet Mm -hmm. business. Cause like, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's not just like a, you know, a simple e-commerce widget shop. Like there's, there's a whole bunch of things happening. Right. Um, And then, uh, you know, things like, um you know, stuff that I didn't, I didn't go into too much, but, you know, other people were working on was like, how do warehouse data centers work? Like physically, like the plant, like what's going on, like, how much steel do you need? And like, what do you do for like fire suppression? And like, how, you know, what's the water for, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. Uh It turns out Uh that's super, super complicated. Um, And so there was a lot of depth that um, we could go into, into different directions. And so this was sort of like Mm -hmm. the I don't know, the top of the pyramid in terms of like, this is like the entry point into lots of other chapters. Okay. Um, and, and you can imagine talking about, you know, load balancing and like uh, cap theorem. And and like, we had a, a, a paper on just like time, like, how do we deal with time in terms of like, <laughs> you know, time zone and like clock drift and like daylight savings and, and uh, all of this stuff, you know, there's, turns out that in a, in a globally, you know, scaled uh, distributed system, like. Time is not straightforward. It's actually pretty complicated. So,
0: yeah, I believe it was Leslie Lamport that said that there's no one so miserable as a person who has two clocks. Not (laughs) to mention two thousand of them or two million of them. Right.
1: That's right. Um, I I think I think anybody who can who can cite Leslie Lamport um, is like a a pal of mine. Like like the the Lamport clocks are are kind of like my was my kind of eye opening moment in in computer science and in college. Um, and if you're into a distributed systems and you, you haven't read stuff from, from Dr. Lamport, I, I highly recommend it. Like even the old stuff, yeah. like the stuff from way back then, it's still super relevant. It's, it's pretty amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, it's all excellent stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, tell me a little bit about what you've learned in managing teams. Cause right now you're working kind of as a consultant, at least that's what I gather a reliability advocate does. Yep. Um, what did you learn about the other side of the table from, from the individual contributors when you were sitting in the manager's chair?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I was an SRE manager for seven or eight years. Um, and uh, I think at one point I had like four or five different teams. So like 20 to 40 um, mm-hmm. SREs um, in, in my you know, different, different groups. And they were very different like the different obviously the individuals were very 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 different but like the Mm -hmm. teams were very different like um how they all interacted um and it was really i thought it was really fun i thought it was really great um kind of getting to know everybody and seeing who like how how different people handled the 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 weirdness of this role in different ways um and so so one one case in particular was uh, there were there were some people who um, this was kind of early in SRE. They just did they did not like being on call, right? Okay. And and like I get that I don't like being on call too, but I also kind of do like it. Like I'm kind of weird. Like uh, I'm 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 kind of good at it. Like I can I can do it. It's not that bad. But there were a couple individuals where they're just like, look, I tried it. It's not for me. And at the time we didn't have a terribly progressive like view on this. We we're like, well, if you're an SRE, you're on call. Like this is just the thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and at a certain point we kind of went like well i mean but that does it have to be <laughs> like does it have to be the thing like do you have to be on call to be an s like how about we revisit this okay. um, because s was big enough that, like it's not like we were you know suffering from not enough people like i mean there, there's always you know not enough people but like it's not like there was nobody available to be on call mm-hmm. um and so w- what we did was we just kind of like we're open to the idea like okay like no problem, especially if it was like, you know, a medical reason or like, um, you know, just like a lifestyle change or, or if they were, you know, if someone was just being grumpy and they're just like, I don't want to be on call today. Like that, that's not a great excuse, but if it's like, no, really like for me, on call is not going to happen, but I can still like contribute to the, to the goal of making, you know, Google a reliable place. Mm -hmm. Then yeah, we, we, we have a place for you for sure. Like that was sort of the the change in tone. Um, and I'm not saying like, I, I, you know, kick this off or anything like that, but I was kind of there when that, change started to happen. Um, and mm-hmm. a few people on my teams benefit from it and and it was, it was pretty great. Um, one of the things that I thought was kind of, uh, funny in retrospect, or maybe it's obvious, but like, to me, it was, it was neat was, uh, when we became a lot more explicit about on-call pay and basically this, this is coming back to the on-call thing, which was like, okay, if you, if you don't want to be on call, um, you're not, you're not going to get like an on-call bonus or, or whatever. Like, sure. And and, okay. and in the past, it was sort of like hit it, Like sometimes teams would do it and some teams would do it differently and different parts of the world would do it in different ways. And and really what we did is we just kind of published everything. We said it, we made everything consistent and mm-hmm. we made, we kind of like took the best practices from each team and like even like the tools we used and things like that for like, how do we track these things and how do we perform like shift trades and like how uh-huh. do you know if someone's like been on call too much and they're going to burn out and things like that. And just making this all a lot more consistent across all the teams, uh, really kind of made things a lot more clear and people had a lot less anxiety about being on call because they didn't feel like it was this sort of sort of like a dark, you know, box that like was a secret, like, oh, I'm I got okay. to be on call again. Like, I'm not sure if, if you know, if it's going to be a bad week and like, I know it's going to happen again. And it was just that, like, it developed anxiety in people and just making it a lot more transparent took a few folks who didn't like me on call and got them to say like, actually, I didn't mind being on call, like, like getting a page in the middle of the day and fixing it was actually pretty great, but it was Mm -hmm. like, I had this anxiety of like, I didn't know when I was going to be on call. And I didn't know if like next quarter, I was going to have to be on call twice as much. And like, I didn't know if it was worth me doing this like through the weekend, but now that Mm -hmm. I know like how, you know, I can see graphs and see how often everyone's on call. And like, I know we have these, you know, two new team members joining us soon and they're going to make it look like this and blah, 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 blah. Just adding more visibility into like the planning system as like a, you know, technical engineering manager, like is uh-huh. really, really helpful for for your team. is just like show them how the system works and like have them have a little bit of autonomy and then like, um, you know, input into the system and let them, you know, have some visibility into like how the, how the sausage is made a, a little bit more. And it, it just helps a lot for sure. Cause it's a stressful job, you know and you, you want to kind yeah. of limit that if you can.
0: Cool. Sounds like that. It- Improved your empathy
1: for the people who are answering the pager. Totally. Yeah. And and the, the other thing that we benefited from was just the fact that Google was, you know, pretty big. Um, mm-hmm. At one point we were able to say like, no one, no one gets woken up anymore as much as possible. Like you have two teams, one is on one side of the world and one is on the other side. And so okay. that way, like you just don't have a shift that goes through midnight or, or whatever the, and, and it's not nice. so much that it was like dedicated. Like these are the hours that you're allowed to be on call. It's like just have two teams and amongst your two sets of people, just figure it out. Like you guys right. can, can make up your own minds. And like some teams did like noon to midnight just was their, their expected time. And mm-hmm. some teams did like, you know, eight to eight or whatever it was, you know, okay. it, was up to, it was up to each team and and that worked out really well too. So again, it was giving the teams some empowerment, but like also providing the the guidelines around like you don't want to burn yourselves out. So like, try to do this. And like, here's the tooling Mm -hmm. to allow you to see, you know, the, the the who's on call when, and this team over here like tried this way and it didn't work for these reasons. And this team did it this way and it did work for these reasons. So uh, one, one thing that I did do, which was, I think, um, unique uh, in a kind of a bad way, it sounded good, but ended up not working was we did have one team that was like a, um, like a, a tri triumvirate i don't know like we had three sites okay so it was san francisco Follow the sun kind of a thing around the yeah, world it was san francisco tokyo london um okay. and we each had eight hours and it was like nine to five like the the time zones work out like amazingly well between those three cities and it was it sounded awesome and it totally didn't work <laughs> so the, really? the 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 being awake was great like when you mm-hmm. when you get the page you're in the office and it's wonderful but it turned out that like uh the the communication between three teams tended to route through one of the teams. Uh, And so you didn't get the circular communication between the teams. You kind of got like out and back then out and back. And then like, no, like the the third leg didn't really talk very much for whatever reason. And um, because like the one team was like central and sort of like took over and, and, you know, so, so there were some, some bad patterns there. Um, Interesting. But we, but we really kind of found out that because of that bad communication, it turned out that, those two, like, I don't know, like out there, like the non central teams, um, suffered because they, they weren't able to get the context of the on-call shift very well either. And right. so, um, like there were handoffs, you know, kind of managed through some tools, but it just wasn't as rich as it would be if it was just a pairing of, of two teams. Cause there's really only one and in a pairing, you only have, you know, one party to tell yeah. all of your context. To. Yeah. And so it's hard mm-hmm. when you you hand off some context to the next team, but then that team doesn't re-hand off that context to the next, you know, it, it just it's this strange like explosion in complexity that just kind of didn't work. So that was unfortunate.
0: So so once you go to three teams, you end up with the game of telephone going on. I mean, that exactly. was part of it. I mean, you yep. just didn't get everything passed along. Interesting. Yep. Interesting observation. Um so um would you be I, I presume you know Charity Majors, um, and she's uh, been an advocate for people taking this sort of pendulum in their careers and taking some time as a manager, and then if they want, taking some time as an IC. Um, what do you think about that uh, concept? Is that a reasonable one, or is that sort of a corner yeah, case? I,
1: um, I think it's 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 reasonable. Like it's especially, um, I think it's really good advice for those who are a little unsure about which way they're going, or that they feel stuck, or they feel on some sort of like, um, some some sort of like, you know, pathway that they have to stick with. Um, okay. G- Google has been pretty good about, especially within SRE at least, has been pretty good at like, you don't have to be a, man- a manager to get promoted, like you could, you can just keep getting promoted on the IC track and making that like very clear. Um, mm-hmm. And, do, and you kind of have to do more than just lip service to that you have to have people who have shown that they've done it and then you kind of have to escalate or not escalate, but uh, elevate those, those, those people a little bit and be like, look, this is that person we were talking about and look, they're doing some cool stuff right. and this is their name and you can go talk to them and you can ask them questions. Um, so um, just by eliminating like the, the perceived need to go into managership and saying like there uh-huh. is another path, I think that's like, kind of the like one step. Uh, the other step is um, kind of what I think what you're alluding to, which is kind of what I've done, which is I did the manager thing for a while and it was fine, and then and then I stopped. Right? Like I, I haven't oh. been a manager for five six years maybe. Um, part of that was because I left and you know I was at a different company, but when I came back, like I'm 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 an IC now, um, totally different job. But um, but yeah, I know how the manager thing works. So when I talk to my manager, I'm like I know all the tools that that they're using and 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 blah blah blah. It's pretty pretty funny, but. Um, Having empathy for other roles that you interact with is is super super important. Um, that said, like if you are have no interest in being a manager, I wouldn't feel like you should be forced to try it for a while. Um, especially if you you know that like you wouldn't like it, because <laughs> like that's um, fair. It's a, it is it is a very different job, and the problem with doing a job that you wouldn't like. Um, and it's a manager job is it's not just you that gets affected, right? Like you will then be yeah. like passing on the, the, the pain to, to other people who are depending on you. And, and that's, that's no good. Like I, I definitely suffered from burnout when I, right before I, I left from, from Google, um, I was managing too much in like a space I didn't really get terribly well and my team mm. suffered and, and I feel really bad about that. Um, so um, I wish I had like kind of seen the light sooner and gone, Hey, like maybe I need to step back. Um, what I did was I, I left the company, which was like a very aggressive move. <laughs> like That's I had the other ultimate reasons for,
0: stepping back. yeah. <laughs> I had
1: other reasons for doing it too, but like it was, you know, I, th- that's not the only move you you can just step back in, in other ways. Like, uh, you uh-huh. know, the world will not, will not end. So um, yeah. Knowing that the, you know, the, the track is, is, is there is, is super, super important.
0: Good. Okay. So as we draw to the end of our time, uh, are there any, particular takeaways that you would um, want people to remember from the conversation? Um,
1: I would say like, um, well, when, when, when looking through the report, it is like a, it's like a breadth first view of, of all these systems um, and like how you would design and and, and operate these systems. Um, But I think the, the, the really high level view that I I think kind of comes across is like, you need to be able to know where you are in terms of like how your system is running and, and what you're actually expecting out of it and so this is this is where observability and SLOs come out of like this is just like you know orientation mm-hmm. right like knowing okay. where you are in the woods uh, and then you got to know like where you want to go right like are we trying to get to the top of the mountain or are we just trying to get out of the woods like which is it okay you know? so mm-hmm. being able to, to to know those two things is, is super important and then being able to like know what you're capable of and, and not just like you as a person, like, do I have grit or not or <laughs> anything like mm-hmm. that? But I mean, like, what is your system able to do? Like, can you perform rollbacks quickly? Or like, can you like, you know, drain from one data center to another data center without affecting users? Like what, what are the things that you can do today? And like, have you done them? Like, do you, do you know they work? And like, can you do them quickly? Um, Cause the important mm-hmm. thing when it comes to reliability is or not the, imp- not the most important thing, but like one of the m- more visible things is like being able to respond in times of crisis. And so in order to okay. respond in times of crisis, you have to kind of like know where you are, know where you're supposed to be and be able to know like how the system works underneath you. So like if you know the ways in which it fails and you know like the um, methods that are available to you to like mitigate or to like improve the system while it's shifting underneath you, mm-hmm. then you're going to have a much better day. Like you're going to be able to recover from a strange event or a bad push or like, you know, even like okay. a hurricane or something like that. Like when these things happen, you'll be able to step in and move quickly and and mitigate failures as, as soon as you can. Um, and with these high nine systems, like, speed matters actually. So, um, you want to be able to be back online as soon as possible. If you're talking about a system that makes uh, you know, millions of dollars a second or something crazy like that, or, or, or is responsible right. for dispatching nine one one calls. Like these, these are important systems that, you know, we don't, we don't hand out five nines for, for no reason. Like they, they should be, they should be out there for, for important reasons. So, um, when your system is down and it's not fixing itself, like you want to be quick if you can so that's that's where that's where the nines come in turns out okay awesome
0: well thank you again steve for joining us on resilience in action today and Thanks for having uh me. for yeah for folks that want to check out uh the report that he and phil wrote uh you can look at the landing page uh for this podcast and we'll have a link there to uh get your very own copy of building Resil- resilient services in the cloud um, and we'll also have a link there in general to the other resources that Google SRE uh, and the CRE teams have uh, made available for helping you to understand reliability engineering. So thanks again, Steve.
1: Thanks, great